This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we are going to continue to narrow down the 50 best movie moments of 2023. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editors, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hi. Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Editor and chief film critic, Chris Evangelista. Oh, hello. And staff writer, Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? All right, Jacob, the baton is once again yours. Yeah, if you haven't listened to part one, this is part two of our 50 best moments of 2023 list. Uh, No need to recap too heavily. We're we're assuming you've seen part one or listened to part one. Full spoilers for all films in 2023 from here on out. Uh, We have 16 moments locked in. Uh, Quite a few more have been discussed and even more than that have not been touched yet. So once again, we're going to go around the horn. And yeah, like I said, if you haven't listened to part one, go listen to part one first. This is not meant to be your first uh, entry in this year's uh, Best Moments podcast. So yeah, uh, up first in the rotation. Uh, once again, Chris, I'll ask you to nominate a moment to keep for the list and a moment to eliminate from the list. Uh, I feel like we need more silly moments on this list. So I'm going to go with the Pope's Exorcist, Russell Crowe on the scooter. The Pope's Exorcist is not a good movie, but is a good movie bad movie and throughout the film russell crowe who uh is a a large man is seen riding around in a very tiny vespa scooter and it's just it's funny every single time it happens i I read up on this that this was russell crowe's idea like when they were shooting the film he actually saw 
priests riding Vespas. And he was like, I want that in the movie. And they put it in the movie and it's just uh, wonderful every single time I see it. Yeah, I put it on the list. The, the Pope's Exorcist uh, is, as Chris said, the best bad movie of 2023. I would watch a dozen more Pope's Exorcist sequels as long as I got Russell Crowe back. He is an incredibly tall man. He's now in his early 60s, and he's put on a weight. And But unlike other actors, he's wearing his weight super proudly. He has never once dressed to hide the fact he's a big man. And watching this big, confident man dressed as a priest riding around Europe on this tiny scooter battling demons is one of the most indelible images of the year in cinema. And if this moment isn't on a list, I will break out the fists, folks. <laughs> no, it absolutely needs to be here. 2024 is the year of the big boy, as far as I'm concerned. And Russell Crowe was setting that standard a, a whole year prior. I haven't seen this movie yet, but I like the idea of something silly making it on here. So I'm down with it in theory. Uh, I, I didn't see Pope's Exorcist either, but I will say if if this makes the list and if like the if this silly argument prevails, I just want us to remember that this got on when I am going to bat for some things here in a little bit uh, <laughs> that like I will sort of say, but this will be the thing I lean on. But we let this go. So just know that that's going to happen. That's fair. But I, I I think that Russell Crowe as the Pope's Exorcist, like literally, I don't remember the character's name. I just think of him as the, as the Pope's Exorcist. It's a legitimately delightful performance in a not in a a C plus B minus movie, but an A plus high camp performance. I legitimately love Russell Crowe in this movie, and I I can't get. I think if there's, if there's one moment to celebrate this really wonderful out there performance, it is the images of him just puttering around Italy on this scooter. Well, and not for nothing, as like kind of the the resident like popcorn movie defender here like this is a movie that a lot of people really liked like i don't want to talk down about this movie like even though i didn't see it but like, like your average person really liked this movie so if this is sort of the moment that encapsulates that movie like it, I, i'm like i think there is certainly an argument to be made for that well it sounds to me like russell crowe on the scooter makes the list do it all right chris what are you killing uh, I kind of want to kill, where did it go? The Indiana Jones and Destiny time travel scene, just because I really feel like Indiana Jones and Destiny is just a, a missed opportunity. It's just Oh a, boy, this is where the fighting comes quick. It's just it's just a forgettable movie, and I feel like you just can't make an Indiana Jones movie without Steven Spielberg, and it really shows. Like For all of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull's flaws, that's still a Steven Spielberg movie, and it still has his filmmaking techniques on display, and... I, I like James Mangold, but he's no Steven Spielberg. And I saw this movie in theaters, and honestly, I like barely remember any of it, even though I saw it in theaters. So I'm I'm fine with cutting anything from this movie from the list. Ben, are you going to back me up here? I mean, I did enjoy this movie certainly a lot more than Chris. Um, I, the thing is, Ryan, there's so many other movie or movie moments on this list that we haven't gotten to yet that I feel like have a better chance of actually making the final cut that I'm not sure if this is a hill that I want to die on. I would like to move it to in discussion because I think that the like the moment itself of like realizing that they have actually time traveled and then and the entire sequence how it plays out it really is like it's it's an exciting action sequence it has an emotional moment for for Indy as a character uh, and like you know having him be a part of history that he was never able to witness before i think is too pivotal a moment to just brush aside yeah and i respect the like taking a big swing and committing to the big swing so that so i would be okay moving it to in discussion i don't want to kill it yet yeah I, i'm not sure it makes the list but i also am not ready to kill it just yet so let's move to in discussion and i'll, I'll chris go if you kill another one in its place 
Oh man, I don't, I don't have anything ready. Uh, <laughs> uh, hold on. While you're killing time, let the record state that I'm going to abstain from the Indiana Jones conversation because I just want to watch all of you fight. <laughs> all right, you know what? Let's cut the the Meg Two line just because the Meg Two sucks. Uh. <laughs> it's a it is a piece of shit movie that should not. I mean, the fact that Ben Wheatley directed such a bland movie about giant killer sharks is like depressing, and it okay. I don't I don't want it on the list. I'm I, I'm I put Meg Two on here. Uh, can I can I can, can I kill it? Can I, can I take it behind the barn? And give it its moment real quick. Sure. <laughs> this is the scene where the climax of the film. Because Chris says bland, but when you describe what's going on in the climax, there are a bunch of giant sharks, prehistoric sharks, uh, battling each other because there's good Megs and bad Megs. A giant super, a prehistoric squid is attacking a resort town. There are a bunch of velociraptor-type dinosaur creatures who have crawled out of the water who are uh, fighting people on land. And in the midst of all of this, one sea pirate who's mad at, at Jason Statham's super earnest, humble, wannabe dad, super green environmentalist uh, boat, boat cop, for lack of better words. Uh, he wants revenge against Jason Statham for arresting his pirate friends. So he's trying to kill Jason Statham with a, with a giant machine gun in the midst of all of this action. He's firing at the dock, trying to take out Jason Statham. Uh, well, all this chaos is happening. And then Jason Statham does a flying martial arts kick and knocks him off the dock and into the mouth of a shark. And Jason Datham says, see you later, chum. Listen, and I, don't, I, I don't think there's better cinema than that. Um, listen, but- the, way you, you just, the way you describe it is a million times more interesting than it actually is in the movie. I'm just going gonna, gonna to put it out there. It's like the execution I agree stinks. with Chris on that. <laughs> okay, we, we can get rid of it. I just want to say that I, I, I think the movie was... In a, in, a, in a list where we have the Pope's exorcist on the vest belt, we, do, we don't also need See You Later, Chum. It is gone. Okay, BJ, you're up next. Uh, kill one, <laughs> keep one. All right, so I am going to keep one from a movie that I think is only going to get one moment on this list, and we have three up here. Um, May, December was my favorite movie of 2023. Um, yes, the hot dog scene is the most memeable and most quotable. Uh, yes, the mirror scene is a beautiful bit of cinematography and also incredibly triggering for anybody who has ever had your mom tell you, you look brave in a dress. Uh, but the one that's got to stay is Charles Melton on the roof with his son smoking weed for the first time and having that incredible breakdown of, I don't know if I'm creating a bad memory for you in real time or if we're connecting. I know I flipped the the line, but that's the one that I think that has to stay. That's the one that encapsulates this movie the best and becomes the morality minefield that is Todd Haynes's genius brain and Sammy Birch's incredible script. Yeah, I think I I agree that if one thing from that movie should make the list, that's probably the the most memorable moment. Um, And like, I get it. I know the hot dogs line is the funny one. That's the memeable one. But I also think that that line delivery is the one that has confused people where they're like, this movie's camp. And it's like, it's fucking not. Um, But that that, that's just my two cents. I think I, I I go with BJ on this one. I think we can cut the other two and lock this one in. Um, personally, as my, but I, I I'm if other people think we should put maybe put hot dogs in, in discussion, I'm cool with that. I mean, I put the hot dogs thing on the list because I think it's very funny, but I'm not gonna like fight for it. You know, whatever. 
Yeah, it yeah, is one I, of those I've moments that is. It, so. it is one of those moments that d- just feels like it is silly enough to to make the list. On top of that, but I do agree that that scene that BJ just talked about in May December is kind of like the scene. All right, sounds like smoking on the roof gets locked in. I think that's the way to go. The question is, do we cut the other two, just take the bandaid off, or do we go ahead and move them into discussion? Well, something, something, something mirror scene gets cut, but the hot dogs is the one that we're, we're some hesitation on. I think there's so much stuff left on this list that, like, I, I think this isn't going to be like last year where RRR gets, like, four or five moments. Like, I think we're going to be, there's maybe only going to be a couple movies that get two moments on here. So I think we got to be real choosy about which ones those are. Yeah, I think we should, I think we cut them both, band-aid off. BJ, you cool with that? Yep, I'm cool with it. All right, well, what's your proper cut, then, beyond those two? And then my proper cut is another one that I put on this list that I'm also going to take out back and shoot. Um, I am one of the only Marvel's defenders (laughs) on our site, and I understand that. And for me, the moment was the Cats moment. Um, Would I have preferred Elaine Page singing Memory over Barbara? Yes, but I understand why they went with Barbara. But that scene was very funny, and it was a great time in the theater as... You know, everyone around me was just losing my mind, but I don't think it's going to make the list, so it can go. But let the record state, I like the Marvels. <laughs> I'll put my scene. support behind that scene as well, because I think that it's evidence that there that the Marvels could have been even better. And I still like the Marvels, but I wish they leaned a little bit more into like weirdness like this and, fun- and funny stuff like this that felt like it was kind of skewing towards like Guardians of the Galaxy-esque humor. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a, a hilarious scene, and the use of all the little tiny flurkins is great. It's the best scene in the movie. Um, but yeah, I, I think that looking at the rest of the list, I don't see how this makes the final cut. Yeah, I don't think it's going to make it. So I'm just going to not even waste our time with indiscussion and just be like, I like it. It's gone. Bye. All right. And it is gone. Okay. I'm going to go with, I'm, I'm hesitant. My big thing is to go with one that I know that I'll be going to bat for in a vigorous way or one that's super obvious that we all know is going to make the list and we're always kind of batting around it. And I'm going for the super obvious one. Uh, John Wick chapter four, the stare fight. It's the final action scene in the movie before the um, sort of, you know, deliberately slowed down climax. It is uh, John Wick fighting his way up the stairs in Paris, getting knocked all the way down the stairs and fighting his way back up with Donnie Yen. It is the culmination of everything John Wick's been building toward as an action franchise. It is Chad Sileski stretching those muscles. It is the series topping itself in a way that it needed to for the fourth entry. Uh, a few years ago, the uh, knife room scene in John Wick Chapter 3 um, made this list. And I don't see how we can have a John Wick film in a given year without having a John Wick moment on the list, especially when it's as good as a stair fight in John Wick Chapter 4, which is so funny, so hard-hitting, so exciting, and pays off everything this series does well. I don't see how the stair fight isn't on the list. I'm I'm okay with this, but to my the point that I just made, we have another John Wick moment that we're going to have to discuss here in a minute. And is this one of the movies that's going to get two on? No, nope. like, I, th- I, think, I think the other John Wick moment gets cut. And that is the, the big overhead tracking shot where the camera is tracking John Wick from above as he just goes through a house with a shotgun icing like a thousand henchmen. And it's great. But the, the stair scene is the John Wick 4 scene. You know, I got to say, I kind of like the overhead shot more than the stair scene. I, wow, that's shocking. He's I, shooting I, I, shotgun bullets that burst into flames. That's yeah, cool. I was, Chris said it because I kind of like that. I'm kind of with Chris there, but like, but I, but I also think to Jacob's point, I think that like if you're too sort of like broadly what captures this movie, I think the stair fate. But Chris, I will go to bat for you. I mean. Yeah, I, I think the stair scene is, is amazing, but I kind of, I personally kind of like the overhead shot just a little bit more. But that's yeah. Do we oh, maybe want to on... move the overhead shot to in discussion, and then maybe we can see where we're at in a bit? 
BJ, does the stair fight make the list? Oh, I'm on Team Stairs all day. I worship at the altar of John Woo and Hard Boiled, one of my favorite movies of all time, which means I'm going to go with stairs over anything. Sounds like there's a split, Jacob, like right down the middle. So, so, but does it, does it sound like stair fight makes the list and big overhead tracking shot gets moved? Let in me discussion? be very clear. I'm I I fully think stair fight makes the list, but then it's a matter of do we get two moments from this movie or not? Yeah, I think put stair fight on there, and then we'll we'll talk about the overhead shot later. Okay, because I, I think that honestly, we could have said the last forty five minutes of John Wick four. But that's, yeah. that's, that's a bit too much for that's, yeah, that's a bit for one, for one moment. So let me go ahead and just um, move it up. Um, okay, I'm going to cheat a little bit on my kill um, because looking at our list and looking at we have a moment from the Iron Claw on the locked in list already. We have two more on on here that we did not discuss yesterday. I think we should cut them. Uh, the Russian montage and Kevin Morns' brothers. We have Iron Claw repped in the list. These are incredible moments. But let's get real. I, I, I'm not so sure we can get more than one moment from Iron Claw on the list. I would be, it's easy for me to ax the Rush montage, but the way that you felt about the like heavens or like the afterlife scene is the way that I felt about the Kevin Morris's brother scene. So it's tough for me to cut that scene. But like if everyone else feels that they both need to go, then I will abstain from arguing. Yeah, I think practically they, they mm. probably just need to go even though they are both great moments. Yeah. And I will say if people like the morning of the brothers moment, watch the last of the Von Erichs episode of dark side of the ring and hear the real Kevin Von Erich say that, and then go throw up. (laughs) I do want to give a quick shout out to the rush montage though, because uh, this is a scene that I actually think uh, works even better on a second viewing of iron claw. Um, Much, much kind of like just seeing the whole movie over again, because uh, the first time, it's just cool seeing that montage of them together wrestling as brothers and kicking ass. The second time, uh, it hurts a lot because if you didn't know the story before, you know what's coming. And seeing them together being so great as a team and as brothers uh, and with with all of their talents combined, because not only do you have the three you know uh, wrestlers in, in the ring, but you have this combination of you know the passion for music that comes from the other brother as well. And the fact that there's just this tragedy waiting for them just makes it that much worse. It, it really is a perfect needle drop, too, because, like, that song just rips. Like, it rips so hard. But then you hear, like, the river, and we know what that means. And it's like, God damn it, Sean Durkin. Yeah. All, All right. right. They're gone, but Iron Claw's amazing. Okay, uh, next up in the rotation is Ryan. Ryan, pick one to keep and one to kill. All right. Um. So, look, I'm going to... We have two moments from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 that need to be discussed. And as I've been saying this whole episode so far, it's going to be hard for movies to get two moments. I don't think that I'm going to get the support from this group that both of these moments should make the list. Cause that's what I think should happen. <laughs> but no, but right. So, so here's where I, I'm going to beg you guys to hear me out because I don't think I'm going to win this one, but, but so just for transparency for the audience, the two moments we have up, for discussion are the I bet you were fun line from the end of the movie, which is incredible uh, in that little moment between Gamora and Star-Lord. But the one that I am going to go to bat for is the no sleep till Brooklyn hallway fight sequence. And look, right now this list is shaping up to be a lot of nice moments. We do not have a lot of blockbuster cinema represented on this list right now. And we need to, that's a big part of this year. And in a year where superhero movies kind of crashed and burned a lot in the public consciousness and where I felt that more than anyone, 
I loved this stuff more than anyone I knew, but this year started to make me feel like, do I even care about this stuff anymore? Am I just moved on? And then there's there's this beautiful moment in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 where James Gunn drops that needle and we watch these superheroes just tear it up in a hallway and like one of this amazingly choreographed, like smile-inducing, amazing moment that is everything that the MCU can be at its finest. And like, it's just a perfect moment that like helps send these heroes off at the end of this trilogy. And it is big blockbuster popcorn action that we go to the movies for, that I go to the movies for. And like, it just, it would feel like a sin to not have something like that represented on this list. And I think that's the moment. And I I know that like the other moments amazing and I would argue for both, but I'm saying if we're only going to get one, I think that's my impassioned pitch for the action sequence over the character moment. Guardians 3 is really excellent. This is actually, in, in a year, Ryan's right, in a year where Super Movies crash and burn, Guardians 3 was not only a giant hit at the box office, but proof that people will still go see a good Marvel movie. Um, but I I like all three Guardians movies. I think they're like top tier Marvel. And this will not be my choice. There are moments from Guardians 3 that stuck with me more, the, the more sad, bittersweet ones that are ones that resonate with me. But I do think Guardians 3 should be the one superhero movie on this list and and I, and I will Well, there's definitely going to be this. one other superhero movie on this list because of Spider-Man Spider-Verse. Make the oh, list. Yeah. yeah. I guess I was thinking live action superhero, but yeah, you guys are right. Yeah. That's that's where I'm getting at is we're going to have some animates, but I think like live action superhero stuff. And again, I I think that there is again, my only argument here is that there's a, a slight underrepresentation of blockbuster stuff. Like like actual block but not character moments in blockbuster like blockbuster action stuff on this list. And I think this is an opportunity for us to represent a really great like moment that is that like where this stuff can feel tired and boring and repetitive. This did not. You have my sword, Ryan. I, I love guardians three. So Yeah. I put the other, I put the, I bet we were fun moment on there because it actually made me tear up in the theater. And it was just like the culmination oh, I absolutely of this. Cried at that. Like, yeah, I'm, of full, the, I, again, uh... I'm having a hard time. I don't want to cut that moment, but I'm being realistic. <laughs> no, I, I suspected this conversation would go exactly the way that I have, uh, that it has. And, uh, and I, I figured that I would eventually throw my support behind you because I knew this moment, the no sleep till Brooklyn thing meant a lot to you, right? So let's do that and let's kill the other one. I just wanted to put it on there so we could shout it out. Okay. Fair. But yeah, I will go to, I mean, that line, you talk about James Gunn sticking the emotional landing. I mean, it's beautiful. But yeah, if if you know, so okay. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, is there anyone? Is there anybody? Is, 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 is anybody adamantly opposed to this moment making the list? Adamantly opposed? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna fight it because I also think we're all gonna be really mean to Ryan later at some point. So <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay. It's coming, and it's coming soon. But like, yeah, let's. Okay, Ryan. What are you gonna kill though? Uh, all right. So, um, uh, this one, I think I'm probably. I think this is where we're gonna start being mean to me. Um. I don't know. Look, I liked Elemental a lot. Uh, the Ember wins the, the crying game and brings back Wade is how this was phrased. Whoever put this on the list. Uh, I have the unpopular opinion that this movie would be much better if Wade had stayed dead. So I am sort of like very. Oh, I'm going to bully you until you cry. <laughs> okay, all right. So, so like, I, think, I think you talk about like it undercut the like emotional weight of the end of that movie so much for me by bringing him back. Um, so uh, to me, like you want people I, to have dead spouses. Is that what you're, what no, you're saying? No, I don't want on, that. But like, record? That's, is that well, Ryan that's wants more real and honest to die? 
No, I don't want that. But like, as someone who, not to get super real, who has somewhat recently found actual love in his life and like feels that now in a in a more connected way than maybe I did in the past, I still believe that that was like a, a bit of a cowardly way out of what that movie tried to accomplish. It. Cowardly? A woman made of fire met a man made of water and they fell in love and you want to take that away from her. <laughs> I... I, she I almost I was... killed him by existing, Ryan. <laughs> and she brought did, him back by being emotionally vulnerable, a thing that she's not good at. What are you on about? All right. Here's my question for, for BJ and Brad. <laughs> I, I understand you uh, bullying Ryan, because we all want to. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like Elemental, but does this mo- would you nominate this moment for the list? Does, does this have a... Do you like this moment, or is it a real top 50 contender? So here's the thing. I don't think this is making the list, but Ryan was wrong in his approach. <laughs> I say I say moving into discussion for now, because like I do think that ultimately once we make it through the rest of the thing, it probably won't make it, but like cutting it now seems, seems a little premature. Yeah, all okay, he uh, needed to say was this isn't making the list. He didn't have to then be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, go and cut something else while we're here, then find something else that you... Maybe an easy one. <laughs> So we won't all yell. Uh, yeah. Well. Okay. Uh, maybe. Hopefully, this is an easier one. Uh, look, guys. I- I'm just as surprised as anyone that I liked Wonka. But are either of those moments making it? No. I put these both on here. I think Wonka is delightful. It's so much better than it needs to be. I actually really like the songs. But if I'm the only one who would even offer resistance on this, then I'm cool cutting from both. And these oh, no, are. I- I- I'm. It's worth highlighting that Wonka is good. Like against Wonka's a, really good. Like against like, and I don't even like musicals. And like, and like that was a bad trailer. But like, I was delighted by this movie. But I don't know that in and in and amongst all this stuff that we're looking at, that these make it. But I'm open to being wrong there again. But I I think that those can get cut. Yeah, I, I specifically put the Wonka moments, the noodle song and the selling candy in the street song, which I think are the represent this movie's sense of humor and also the movie's sense of heart. But uh, if nobody else, if everybody else has an eh about Wonka, or or it's like Ryan, where it's good, but but then I'm cool with them both going. These were this let me know either way, and I'll I can cut them. Yes, please. Goodbye, Ace Ventura Jr. and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> I right, think I, you, you are such a minority on Wonka. It's wild. Hey, you know, here's the thing. I I think Wonka is pretty good. I think Timothy Chalamet is what brings it down. Although the songs are great, supporting cast is great. He he makes it not work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm cutting the Wonka moments. It's done. They're gone. Okay, um, Brad, you're up. Kill one, keep one. Okay, uh, I'm going to push for uh, a little bit of comedy on this list. Even though this particular moment isn't necessarily uh, comedic in nature, it comes from a big comedy last year, and I don't think we're going to have too much pushback in getting on the list. Uh, and that's no hard feelings. Percy singing Maneater uh, in the movie. It is like the emotional backbone of this movie. It is a beautiful moment uh, where Percy sings this song in the restaurant and really like ends up charming Jennifer Lawrence's character who initially may not have had any real interest in this kid. Uh, but she sees, you know, him for like, like sees his real personality and who he is and that he's a, he's a great kid and more than just this opportunity for her to get, you know, a car. Uh, so a uh, great moment in a great comedy uh, where there are so few great comedies in theaters these days. So that's, that's my pick. Here's my question for you, Brad. There, there are two moments from no hard feelings on this list. There is Percy sings man eater, the emotional crux of the movie. And the naked beach fight, which uh, is probably the, the funniest scene in the movie, where Jennifer Lawrence uh, takes down a bunch of douchebags while completely naked. In a moment, I, I, we've seen a lot of great male nudity comedy over the past 15 years, but I can't remember the last time 
uh, female nudity has been weaponized in this in this kind of in, in this way that um, where it's not like, hey, look, here's a lady who's undressed. Ha, she's humiliated. It's here's a lady who's naked and being funny as opposed to I think com- naked women in comedy has so often been the result of misogyny and sexism and, and the punchline, whereas the punchline here is not humiliation is Jennifer Lawrence. Freaking pissed off and beating the crap out of dudes while naked. Um, and that to me is so much different and interesting and fresh. And I'm not prepared to say goodbye to it just yet. I think Percy singing Man Eater makes the list, but I'm not sure I want, but I think Naked Beach Fight deserves some t- conversation. Jacob, I'm glad you said that because I feel 100% the exact same way about that, that scene too. So yeah, I'm totally fine putting that in discussion. Yeah, I agree. That's the one that I would keep. And Jacob, thank you for being such a good ally and making the argument so I didn't have to. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I love both these moments and I, I really like this movie, but I think like my personal thing is like, I, I come out where Brad comes out on it, where like, I think the Jennifer Lawrence beach scene is amazing, but this is the moment I was, I, I think this was actually going to be my nest next fight was for the man eater moment. It's, it's so good. And, and uh, like, so unexpected, it kind of comes out of nowhere. And, and yeah, like I, I, I don't know that this list could be complete without this moment. All right, so how about Maneater is kept and Naked Beach Fight is put in discussion? Yep. All right. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't, I, I think Beach Fight will have an uphill battle making the final list, but I don't feel it should be cut right now. I, think, I feel... Can I get a... Can I request... I think we're probably getting close to the halfway point. Do, how many do we have confirmed We have right 21 now? locked in right now. Okay, okay. So we're... Okay, we're going to start getting the knives out here shortly. Yeah. Okay, Brad, um, what do you want to kill? Uh, I'm going to kill a sequence that I just wanted to mention, but I don't think it's going to make the list, especially since we do have uh, John Wick on this list. And uh, this could be, you know, could could be argued, even though the Equalizer started first, that this is kind of lesser John Wick. But uh, the Equalizer 3, Denzel Washington finishes the job. Uh, I put this on here because this final sequence in the Equalizer 3 is very cool. Um, it plays out like a slasher scene where Denzel Washington is the killer. And my favorite thing about it is that usually with these kind of finale scenes, you encounter a moment where the hero has like a moment of difficulty where it seems like they're on the ropes. They could get killed or something like that. Not the equalizer. Uh, he just goes through and he just, <laughs> just kills one dude one after another without any problem whatsoever. And that's it. <laughs> It's literally Jason. If Jason Voorhees was your main character, like your heroic main character, it would be Equalizer 3. It is kind of astonishing how this whole sequence is literally filmed as if as if he's the shape or or, or Jason yeah. moving through the shadows, dispatching people. Like, and like you say, effortlessly. It is totally deranged, and I kind of love it, but also I think, I think you're right. It doesn't quite make the list. Yeah, great sequence. I, have, I would recommend watching the Equalizer 3 for sure. Anybody else want to say goodbye to this one or say anything about it? I mean, it was Hell great. yeah, Denzel is a slasher <laughs> villain. <laughs> All right, it's gone. Uh, Equalizer 3, actually, pretty good. Um, okay, Ben, uh, kill one, keep one. All right, let's take a quick break, and then I'll come back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, the one that I want to argue for here is kind of like the epitome of what this list is for, and it's the opening violin battle in a movie called Chevalier, which I'm guessing most of our listeners have not seen. I don't even know if anybody else on this podcast has even seen this movie. 
Um, I talked to Chris about this when I saw the film earlier in the year. And it, it, the movie Chevalier is just fine, but the opening is terrific. It's like really, really good. So basically what happens is uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is is uh, on a stage, like performing to a bunch of people, this like violin concerto thing. He's got an orchestra back behind him and he takes a, he introduces himself to the crowd and he takes a suggestion from the audience uh, for what song they should play next. And some guy in the back suggests, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the name of the song is. And Mozart's like, okay. And basically like begins to start playing. And the guy interrupts and says like, hey, can I play with you? And he, Mozart is like completely taken aback by, you know, how ridiculous of a request this is. And this guy comes up on the stage and it's a black guy, which in, you know, whatever, 17th century France uh, has its own <laughs> connotations. And Mozart is like a total racist asshole who is basically like looking down on this guy and thinking there's no way that this dude's going to be able to actually hang with me here. So he gives him a, a violin and the two of them begin to play and Mozart realizes, hey, this guy's actually pretty good. And then it it sort of evolves into the equivalent of a guitar battle, but just on violin. And uh, this guy, the, the mysterious figure, Chevalier, uh, just ends up completely shredding Mozart on his own stage and like wins over the crowd. And it's this awesome, triumphant moment. And Mozart is so humiliated and infuriated that he basically like throws his violin down and runs backstage. And then <laughs> he just goes, who the fuck is that? And then it smash cuts to the word Chevalier as the title screen. <laughs> so uh, just a really, really great fun moment that um, that I think exemplifies what we're looking for when we look for the more sort of obscure things in this list. Ben, so, you, you, so you're saying this period piece costume drama has the action movie smash cut to character title. Yeah, yeah, it does. Then, then yes, it deserves to be <laughs> yep. on the list, goddamn it. Yep, he does. <laughs> I will say I didn't have time to watch the whole movie, but when I saw over the weekend, I tried to catch up with a little bit of stuff. Um, be, and, and this is I, I because Ben put this on the list or I didn't know who did, but I watched just the opening scene and it's pretty dope. <laughs> it's ben, Ben's right. It's pretty <laughs> like I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a thing, and I need people to understand that I'm saying this with like the utmost of sincerity. It has such a similar energy to the uh, smooth criminal cello battle from Glee, and I mean that in the like the best way possible. Like that is a compliment. It is so <laughs> riveting. I think it makes a list. Then Ben, you got this one on there. Sweet. All right, what do you want to kill? Uh, I would like to kill the Florida fight scene in The Killer, uh, David Fincher's The Killer. Because oh, a... no, no, Ben. Don't oh, do this. Okay, no. well, I was going to say there's another moment um, <laughs> from The Killer that is on this list that I figured had a better chance of making it. Oh, they're both um, they're both great, though. They both but... sum up why the movie's so good. Okay, well, maybe let's just put both of those into in discussion then because uh, the other one is the botched assassination at the very beginning of the movie, um, which I thought for sure somebody would would go to bat for and, and we oh, they're, would they're have a lot great. more. I, I want to have a, a, a bigger discussion about the killer. So I, th I think we can move them both in discussion and have you kill something more quickly. Okay, all right, all right. sounds good. Uh, I'll kill one from a movie that I really liked called Rye Lane that I'm guessing probably won't make this list, which is uh, Yaz Saves David at the Awkward Restaurant Encounter. Um, basically, it's just uh, an opportunity a showcase for Vivian Opara, who plays Yaz, the, the female lead in the movie, to just be charming as hell. Um, David is the the male lead, and he uh, meets up with his ex girlfriend, who is who has cheated on him with his best friend, and they're supposed to meet up at a restaurant. And the Yaz character basically like 
strolls in at the last second and saves David from this super, super awkward, like pitiful interaction by pretending that she's his girlfriend and that they've been together and had this amazing karaoke night and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, it's just a, a quick, uh, I just wanted to give a, a quick shout out to this moment that, that there's no way this is going to make it, but uh, Riley, it's great. It's on Hulu right now. Yeah. I, I think if this was something one that's probably not going to make the list, but I'm glad you, you're the one to take it out back. Yes. Hmm. All right. Back at top rotation. Uh, Chris, uh, kill one, keep one. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm ill-prepared for this. Oh, all right. Let's. I, I'd really like to keep the, the cannonball through the ice scene through Napoleon because I feel like Napoleon is an okay movie. It's a movie that really should have been better than it was, and I have a feeling the inevitable director's cut is going to be like amazing whenever we get it. But uh, of everything that happens in Napoleon, and there are a few good things in that movie, I feel like this is the thing that stands out the most where uh, I won't go into the whole scene, but it's basically a, a big battle sequence and the, Napoleon is fighting another army and the other army is on uh, a, like a an ice, a, a frozen lake, but they don't realize it. And Napoleon starts shooting cannonballs at the lake and everyone falls through the ice and they die and it's, it's shot in this haunting, beautiful way where the, 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 the cold blue water is turning red from the blood. And there's much to say about this in the sense that it's like a hundred percent historically inaccurate, but I don't, I don't really care about that. <laughs> Scott obviously does not care about that. So um, I feel like if we're going to have anything on the polling on this list, I feel like that would be a cool thing to put on the list. So that would get my pick. I love this moment. Uh, I, I like this movie more than most people, I think. So I'm very in favor. Like, I think I think if it only gets one moment, this is one. There's one that I would like to maybe fight for a little bit later. But but I, I think that this for sure goes, yeah. This movie's garbage, but I'm not going to fight. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to. I, I, Even you, it. Jacob, have to admit, it's a pretty damn cool image. It's a cool image. My, 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 my problem with Napoleon is that let's, let's put aside the fact, let's put aside the historical nightmare actor. It, it is the, the most historically inaccurate biopic I've ever seen. It is wild how little Scott cares about history. But even if you put aside that, and I'm willing to put that aside and just focus on the intentions of the film, I think it's just so haphazardly assembled. It's it's barely a movie. It has no flow. Napoleon's not even a character. He's a meme. He's a walking meme. But yes, this is a cool image, which is why I'm not going to fight it. <laughs> All right, sweet. All right, Cannonballs to the Ice has made the list. Uh, Chris, we would, what do you want to kill? <laughs> Like the most unenthusiastic entry on the list. Everyone was just like, fine. I'm with, no, I'm with you, Chris. I'm enthusiastically with you. I want to say that on the record that I am enthusiastically um, with you. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Um, I'm going to say, can we cut the, the ambulance chase from Cocaine Bear? I feel like Cocaine Bear should have been a home run, and it was a really just bad movie. I like Elizabeth Banks. I think Elizabeth Banks is a bad filmmaker. So I think she's like, should just maybe stop making movies for a while. I don't know. But I, I just felt like, I don't know. Th- like I said, this movie should have been a home run. The pre- I mean, the, the premise is right there in the title. It's Cocaine Bear. And the film itself is just kind of like, blah. And like, I, I don't know. I, I just would be fine cutting anything from that movie from this list. Yeah, is anyone going to back me up on this or should I just not fight this at all? I mean, Cocaine Bear is almost as bad as Napoleon, so I'm cool cutting it. <laughs> I just want the record to say that I like Cocaine Bear and I also watched that movie Cheap to the Gills and it was hysterical. Um, oh, yeah, I liked, no. I liked it. And I, but this is the best scene from the movie. I thought, but I, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to fight it. Yeah, you. I'm not dying on this hill. I got other hills to die. All on. right, that's fine. Yeah, let's cut it. Yeah, 
Bye, Cocaine Bear. You should have been good. But I love the ambulance chase, and I will say that. And if, you know, uh, <laughs> hell yeah to the ambulance chase, but it can go. Yeah, sometimes when people fart, it's hilarious. <laughs> hey, PJ, what do you want to keep and kill? Um, so what I want to keep is something that I didn't realize we didn't already lock in because it feels like such a given. Uh, the dance sequence in Megan. Duh. <laughs> like, I don't think I need to argue that. Uh, that was the big movies are so back moment of 2023 because it hit in January. Um, I love that moment. I also love that it was not originally in the script. It was just Gerard Johnstone being like, hey, do you know it'd be sweet? And it became one of the most uh, easily identifiable movies or moments in a movie in 2023. So I do want to say something about this, and it ties into another scene in the movie that I feel like has the same problem even though it is still a, a, a moment that is cool and would otherwise probably make the list and i'm not even saying that this necessarily doesn't deserve to make the list but i think my problem with this scene is that it it didn't become anything greater than it was in the trailer like there wasn't more to it it really kind of got spoiled in the marketing and so when the scene finally came around the movie i was like oh that that was it so we already we already had the fun with this and it's it's not any more fun or cool in the actual movie and i have the same problem with the bike jump over the mountain in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which I think that they totally botched by making it the star stunt and throwing it all over every piece of marketing. Because when it finally happened, you're just like, oh, okay, that was it. Uh, I just want to say I agree with you there, Brad, 100%, especially the the, the Mission Impossible thing. I'll agree with the Mission Impossible one for sure, absolutely. Yeah, I'll agree with Mission Impossible. I don't agree with Megan because I was in a theater full of fellow gays and we cheered like it was the Super Bowl when it happened. I do think I do think I do think Megan has the benefit of like it's 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 a great enough moment and it became such a piece of like pop culture zeitgeist like that I think that it does have to have to make the list, but I just wanted to put out there that like I, I did feel a sense of disappointment when I actually saw it in the movie. Man, that sounds like a skilly issue. <laughs> I, 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 I'm kinda I, with Brad on this. I'm with I'm with BJ on this. I think Megan rules, and we I, should be repped on this list in some way. I just no, want to add, Megan I did does rule. I, I did not like Megan. I'm sorry, everybody. I really <laughs> wish I liked. I love Malignant. Same writer. I love Malignant. Malignant is a masterpiece of awful <laughs> weirdness. But Megan did not do it for me. But I, I you don't have to be one of our besties. It's cool. But I I 100 understand why this should make the list. But uh, Megan, I wish it were. I wish I liked it more. Well, good news. There's a sequel coming. Maybe you'll like that one better. Um, okay, so a quick yay if you think Megan's dance attack makes the list. Yay. 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 All right. Uh, yay. Say, all right. All right. I feel like that's enough. Okay. <laughs> dance attack is on the list. BJ, what do you want to kill? Um, I'm going to kill a moment because I'm pretty sure I might be the only person. No, I think Chris saw this too. Uh, but I put... Uh, a moment from The Passenger, um, a very underrated horror movie from 2023. Um, it's Kyle Gallner and Johnny Bertolt. They're great. I had a piece go up on Slash Film uh, this week about it. Um, this is the spiritual successor to The Hitcher, as far as I'm concerned. It's just a terrifying road trip movie where one person is holding another person hostage and they're going on a trip. Uh, but at one point, Kyle Gallner uh, tells Johnny Bertolt's character, hey, you're going to face uh, your ex and you're going to go visit her at work. And she works out of like what is essentially Build-A-Bear. Um, and it is a very twisted scene where you understand the stakes are so high because this guy could just kill him at any moment and for whatever reason he's not. And it's all taking place while they are building stuffed animals. The juxtaposition is delicious. I love the scene. I don't think it's making the list, but I wanted to shout it out. 
Yeah, I, I, I think we can cut this. I, I think you and maybe Chris, like, I, I definitely have not seen this. Yeah. It's, a, it's definitely worth checking out. The movie is, is very Yeah, good. it's great. It finally made it over to Prime Video. It was locked away on MGM Plus, a streaming app no one has for a <laughs> while. Uh, so now you can actually see it, and uh, it rips. It's a good two-hander. All right, it's gone, but go see The Passenger. Okay, I'm trying to decide between two different, very different, two impossibly different movies. Okay, guys, do you want to have the Hunger Games conversation now or the Skin and Marine conversation now? Let's get the Hunger Games conversation out of the way because I've been, I, I, I feel like this is one we need to have. All right, Hunger Games, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes. Uh, my, for my money, the best film in the franchise. Um, I've seen it several times now. It is terrific. There are three moments in this list. Uh, anytime Lucky Flickerman is, is broadcasting, uh, Snow in the Woods, and Lucy Gray sings at the Reaping. Uh, I think we can cut Lucky Flickerman because Jason Schwartzman is hilarious and his scenes are all good, but it's not an individual moment. It's a, it's a series of scenes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fine. I just wanted to put it on there because I think Jason yeah. Schwartzman is phenomenal in this role. And there's there were a couple lines where I, in the theater I was just like, holy shit, that's dark. <laughs> all right. So between the one, I think we can keep one of the other two. I think this movie deserves to be on the list. Snow in the Woods is a scene toward the end where our main character, the guy we've been quietly rooting for this whole time, uh, reveals himself to essentially be the fascist, whiny baby um, madman that he's going to grow up to be. And he walks through the woods stalking his girlfriend with an assault rifle uh, and can't find her and just essentially loses his mind on camera. And realizing, oh, I spent two and a half hours hoping this guy wouldn't be a fascist, even though I know he does. And here he has proved me right. Uh, is not the kind of feeling that I want in every blockbuster, but it's the one that felt very right for 2023. The idea that sometimes the person you spend a lot of time with and you want to like reveals himself to be an absolute piece of shit, irredeemable to the core, who's going to hunt you through the woods with an assault rifle. Um, Second one is uh, Lucy Gray, uh, played by Rachel Zegler, when she's reaped at the Hunger Games, and she... Takes control of the show. See, sings pro- a protest song on live, you know, propaganda TV. Uh, it's Rachel Zegler really taking control of the screen. It is Hunger Games at its most political, which is when Hunger Games is at its best. Um, I would personally lean Snow in the Woods for that for the unique feeling of gut churning horribleness that was unique to 2023 cinema. Uh, but also, I think Lucy Gray is kind of the heart of the film, so I want to have the conversation, especially with. Uh, BJ, uh, I know BJ is my other big Hunger Games fan on the show. So BJ, do you have an opinion on these two? So I do lean towards Lucy Graybeard singing um, because for twofold. One, uh, the Hunger Game movies and books live and die by uh, women doing things that could get them killed um, and doing it knowing full well that this could get them killed. And so, yes, she is the heart of the film. Um, also, Rachel Zegler singing is always something I'm worth celebrating. And I love the scene of Snow in the Woods, but I also knew that was coming. So it didn't have kind of like the effect as as I think it would have for people who maybe like didn't read the book or, um, you know, I guess forgot (laughs) because it's not that you forget that he's going to grow up to be daddy Donald Sutherland and be really scary, but it is, you know, exactly what you said. You have like this little bit of hope for maybe a second of maybe he's going to be redeemable, but we know he's not. Um, so I don't know. Cause Rachel singing was something that I could not have imagined reading the book. I had to see it. And, uh, God, she's good. God, she's good. And she had a year of people just 
being so unbelievably rude and shitty to her, like the actress. So I like secretly want her to be on this list just to kind of give an extra middle finger to all those haters. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 as long as the Wallings Moments makes the list, I'm happy with it. I, I guess, is there any more support or even defiance against this movie making the list? I still haven't had the chance to see it as badly as I want to. I just knew we had three moments that needed to be discussed that I knew like three weren't going to make it. Um, so I defer obviously to who has seen it, but I just feel like we kind of realistically need to get it to one, one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it either. I'm cool with either moment, honestly. And, and since you're the one who pitched it, if you want it to be snow in the woods, um, I do agree with you that like this ending is also very polarizing. Like it upset a lot of people and it's like, I don't know how to tell you. Sometimes fascists seem like they're really cool and then they turn out to be horrible. <laughs> I don't um, know what to tell you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I like people want to live in this world where people who are monstrous are always monstrous. And that's just not how it works. Sometimes they're really charming and handsome, and you gotta learn to look for those red flags. Yeah, I, I think the, the the snow stuff in the back half hour, the last half hour of the film is incredible because you watch as this guy you've been kind of rooting on, all the, the tiny red flags start growing like in front of you in real time. It's like, oh no, what I thought was a tiny little patch of red is like this Niagara Falls of red fabric, and literally Lucy Gray did like. No, and she's bolts into the woods, and he chased her with a freaking gun, and it's so scary for a for, for a YA PG thirteen you know movie like horror games movies have always gone hard, but but Battle of Songbird Snake goes so hard. Um, but I'm okay with it being Lucy, Lucy Gray for the reasons BJ outlined. Is anybody opposed Lucy Gray making this list or opposed this film? I I, I don't want to like bully this onto the list. No, I'm I'm down, and I I think either one I would be happy with as well. Okay, Lucy Gray's on the list. Locking it in. Yay. Move that up. Then I'll k- kill something. Okay, I get so distracted by my excitement of that that I need to kill something. Um, I think we should kill the other two Napoleon moments. Horse, the horse getting hit with the cannonball, and you think you're so great because you have boats. Uh, one Napoleon <laughs> moment is enough. This is where <laughs> I put my foot down. We can't have more than one Napoleon moment on this list. All right, I'll back off from arguing my other Napoleon stuff, but just remember that I did that for you, Jacob, when you're all mad at me later. <laughs> Noted. Does anybody else think these moments deserve to be on the list? Uh, or am I just being a big asshole? No, I only think there should be one. Yeah, and the, the Cannibal one, I think, is is the one. And these these two are fun, but we have so much, so much other great stuff to work through. I don't think they make it. All right, they're gone. Ryan, what are you keeping? What are you killing? All right, um... I think I, I gotta go for I gotta go for one that I hope I get support on because uh, I think we're we're kind of getting down to it here. Uh, b- b- survey of the room before I jump into my spiel here. Who saw how to blow up a pipeline? I did. I did. Yes. Okay, so we got a few people. All right, so look, uh, it's a it is like it almost works like a reverse heist movie, uh, and it's like it's like the most tense thing I saw all year. And uh, look, as the title implies, it's uh, a group of, of activists uh, that are looking to blow up an oil pipeline that is disrupting a lot of lives. And the the when everything comes together, when they actually do blow up the pipeline, the tension, the way that it is executed, the the payoff. And it's not like this like satisfying payoff. It, it is in a way, but it's really like tense and and kind of like terrifying and and like relieving but also stressful and it's this very unique combination of feelings that i haven't really encountered at a climactic moment in a movie like that before and um there's a scene where there's a guy just sitting at a bar drinking a beer during this whole sequence and like 
somehow that is like so tense and emotional, but like, it, it, I don't know. I just think that like in a movie that not nearly enough people saw that I believe is one of the best of the year, this is the scene from that movie. So I don't know how much support I'm going to get on keeping this, but I think that this was a hell of a moment in a good movie. Yeah, I, I would uh, absolutely love for this to be on the list, so yeah. Yeah, big same. This is a movie that when I saw, like, I saw this pretty early, I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely, like, my top ten of the year, and then it just kept getting edged out by other stuff, but ugh, this movie rules and not enough people saw it. I just want to say, I, I did not see this, but the fact that the description on our doc is, how to blow up a pipeline? They blow up a pipeline. Uh, this, is, this, this is a moment, it makes me laugh, so uh, yeah, let's put it on the list. <laughs> Do it. Cool. Right, I, I just appreciate because, like, in, in in the spirit of representing the underrepresented, I would like more people to see this. So, all right. Well, what do you want to kill? Uh, you had mentioned having the Skinnamarink conversation, and I think it's time to have that conversation. I think we need to get rid of the cut your eyes out scene, and we need to just say that if something stays, it's the phone scare. Yeah, I yeah, would agree I'm- with that. Are we saying we should move the phone jump scare right in the, in the top fifty? Because I would say so. I, th- I think so, just because I, I don't even really like Skinnamarink, but it was like such a big deal for such a small movie and it had such a wide uh, ripple effect from it that I feel like that phone, like I'm never going to, you know, previously I think I associated that image maybe with like Toy Story or something, but now I'm never not going to think about Skinnamarink when I see yeah, that. So. Um, I, I would be okay with that. And I'm not I'm not saying that like that's not necessarily what I'm saying had to happen. I'd be okay with that. But I think two mo- two moments aren't getting it. And as impactful as this movie was it doesn't deserve two moments so i think that like we got to pick and i think that if one makes it it's the phone yeah i i think that if people are cool with it cut your eyes out the, the moment that the voice the entity tells the little girl to cut her eyes out i saw this in a packed theater at like 10 p.m at night with an audience who didn't who was clearly divided on the movie you could hear like people audible frustration but also audible like people being into it and when the and when the entity says cut your eyes out a woman two seats down from me screamed I've never heard a reaction like that. I've never heard a lion dialogue make a woman scream. Some something was in the air from this movie. This movie per, like lets out this gaseous evil into the audience, and I can't imagine watching it at home. Like, the movie's way too slow to watch at home. But in a theater full of people, the weird, bizarre, angry, fearful energy of this film was unreal. And I'll never forget that woman screaming. I'll never forget that. But if we all agree that cut your eyes out gets cut and the phone jump scare because that phone jump scare is real good. It's moved to the top 50. I think we like we just do it right now uh, out of order. We should just do it. Yeah, I think so. I think that's exactly. I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's what needs to happen. And if people do want to watch this movie at home, I highly recommend you do it on a laptop with headphones in pitch black because the second the movie ends, you will see things in your own bedroom and not sleep for two days. Not that <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. Is anybody opposed to this plan? I guess okay. a case, uh, sorry, Jacob, okay. a case could be made that we should move the phone jump scare just to end it in discussion, just because there's still so much to talk about, but I, okay, I that, that's fair. Let's do that. That makes okay. more sense. That's, that's more in line with our rules. Okay. Um, but it's, it's making the list. Damn it. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. All right. Is that, is that a, is that enough for a proper cut then? Or do I still need to ask something? No, I think you're good. We, we cut the other skin marine. Okay. So. Sounds good. All right. All right, Brad, uh, keep one, kill one. Okay. Um, I would like to keep, uh, poor things. Bella and Duncan hit the dance floor. Poor things is one of the best movies of the year. Uh, this scene in particular shows Emma Stone's just completely unhinged, uh, in, uh, outstanding performance, both just physically uh, and and mentally. Just like seeing her bring this character to life in such a, a, a wild way, and then seeing Mark Ruffalo just 
un, uh, unashamedly join her and dance like a total goober. Uh, this is just a, a great scene that really captures just how how wild and wonderful this movie is. Yeah, I this is the this one scene. poor things on the list. I, I feel like we need to have poor things on this list. If we don't move this one up, what are we doing here? Yeah, I feel like poor things could have had a lot more scenes, but this is, I think, the scene if we're going to have one. Yeah. All right. Poor things lock. Uh, Brad, kill something. I'm going to kill uh, a scene I don't think will make it, but I wanted to give it a shout out because, again, comedies. They're good. Um, Joyride. The K-pop ruse. Uh, this is where uh, all the women in the movie uh, pretend to be a K-pop group so that they can get uh, a flight to where they need to go. And there's this whole K-pop music video sequence that plays out uh, that's that's really funny, ends with quite a uh, risque banger of a joke. Uh, and it's just, it's just a lot of fun, but I don't think it's going to make it in the end. Yeah, I don't think Joyride makes this list. Yeah, I don't think so either, which is a bummer. Uh, do you want to clarify that Sabrina Wu, who plays Deadeye, not a woman, um, but... I'm sorry about that. That's, that's totally fine. But yeah, uh, Joyride is super underrated. I love that movie. Uh, personally, the, uh, the 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 wild sex montage would have been my pick, but... I'm with BJ. That would have been... I love Joyride, <laughs> and that would have been my pick. Well, why didn't you put it on the fucking list, then? <laughs> because <laughs> I did too much other shit I'm going to get yelled at for. <laughs> I didn't think that this movie was going to make it at all, at all. <laughs> but yeah, I like Joyride. Uh, if you like comedies, maybe you will too. All right, well that's gone. Uh, ben, kill, keep one, kill one. All right, uh, let's take another quick break. Okay, I would love it if the let's see the all of us strangers diner scene made it on here. I mean, this is a very quiet scene. It's a very quiet movie. This is like one of the most sort of um, really just beautiful movies that I saw of 2023. And this is the scene where uh, Andrew Scott meets up with his parents played by Claire Foy and Jamie Bell, sort of like a ghostly type of situation. It's a whole complicated thing that we don't have time to get into right now. But basically the, the diner scene is like the emotional catharsis of the whole movie. It's like the, his last interaction with his parents before this sort of quasi supernatural, unexplained, uh, beautiful scenario that allows him to interact with his parents um, basically kind of dissipates and goes away. Um, and it's just a, a really great sort of showcase for actors doing amazing work and um, yeah, just really, really solid stuff. So uh, I don't know if this is going to have enough support, but I just wanted to throw it out there. I can't talk about this scene without crying, um, but this scene's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would throw my, yeah, I throw my support behind this scene as well. Cause this scene really did uh, make tears come out of my face. Um, it's just, yeah, the conversation he has with, his parents and just like acknowledging that they have to leave and like just the, just the fact that he's able to have this conversation with his parents who are, are dead. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's, it's such a beautiful scene. All right. Sounds like it's on the list. Welcome all of us strangers. You take spot 28. Uh, ben keeps, Oh, kill something. Yeah. I'd like to cut uh, two things from a movie called the taste of things, which I don't think anybody else here has had the chance to see yet. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. It just had like a, a limited one week theatrical thing, but it actually comes out in February. Um, so I, I had a sense that this wasn't going to make it, but there's an opening scene where characters just kind of like almost silently just cook this incredible meal and the movie just drops you in. And it's like some of the best food porn stuff that you've ever seen in your life. Um, so just great stuff there. And then uh, later in the film, one of the characters makes a dinner for the other character, the his uh, love interest in the movie. And it's just this really beautiful like expression of using food as a way of communicating, you know, how much you care about somebody and like the amount of um, 
of detail and like care and thought and effort that he puts into making this meal uh, dwarfs anything that I've ever done in my life in terms of creating food, but is just a, a really beautiful representation of um, yeah, how much he, he really cares for this woman. So uh, great stuff. But I, I, I mean, I guess if anything, we could maybe have this conversation again uh, next year and see if if enough people if it resonates with enough enough people on this podcast. But yeah, with, um, that, with that February release date, Ben, I, I think it may be the better option. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so we can slice those off the list now. All right, should we go around one more time? Yeah, I think we should do like a rapid fire thing because we still have a lot to cover and then only conceivably one more episode to do all of this in. So yeah, if we can do like a rapid fire thing, that'd be awesome. Yeah, because I right. just want to point out we have 28 on the list and we already have 15 and in discussion and a lot left to talk about. So I think we need to start getting really real here. All right, let's do, let's do a rapid fire round. Let's do um, each of us nominate one to keep and two to kill. And let's do as fast as we can. Chris, you're up first. Oh, man. Uh, all right, so I'd like to keep... Mission Impossible, the train sequence, just because the train sequence is phenomenal, and cut the bike over the mountain sequence. Because as Brad said, and I agree 100, percent the the trailers kind of just ruined it. They they pumped that up, and the tra- and like every single trailer for this movie was like, "Look at the bike jump!" And when it finally happens, it's like, "Oh, okay, who cares?" Like <laughs> just to, you know, not not to undersell it, because I, obviously I would never ride a goddamn bike off a cliff, but um, but uh, it just it doesn't it didn't have the impact that I feel like they wanted it to have. So I would be fine. Yeah. Also, the, the, the train scene is awesome. Like the yeah. train dangling off the the cliff, with everybody climbing up to it. Uh, Vertically is it, it rules. It's 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 the best action scene in the movie, even above the bike jump entirely. So yeah, because yeah. I think the bike jump sort of leads into the better sequence, right? Like like yes. the, like the bike jumps as soon as he is on the train, like it's better. So I think yeah. like I yeah I, I'm okay with that if if that's the way we want to go with it. Yeah, let's kill a bike over the mountain. Uh, is anybody opposed to climbing through the train making the list? Because you're wrong if you are opposed. But I should know. Nope. Good. No. All right, Chris, kill one more. Uh, let's get rid of, I like this movie more than most people, but let's get rid of the, the ending of leave the world behind. Just Cause I feel like there's no way that's going to make the list, even though I think it's, yeah, I put that on there and I, I would, I, I didn't know where this was all going to go and I sort of was going to weigh it out as this went on, but I think there's no chance this makes it, but I, I will go to bat for that movie. And, and I think the ending kind of sticks, sticks it. So, but fair enough. Yeah. All right. It's gone. All right, BJ, uh, keep one, kill two. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, the one that I want to keep, um, I want to keep the scene from Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, uh, where Rachel McAdam cries about her parents. And it's, this movie is so unbelievably good. And it it, it took forever for someone to finally adapt uh, Judy Bloom's book. And Kelly Freeman Craig did an amazing job. But Rachel McAdams is the unsung best supporting actress of the year. Um, and that scene just gut me like a fish. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this movie's great. Uh, it's really remarkably good. And this is just the point where we can say, like, go see this movie. It's put on the goddamn list. Yeah, it's great. Um, as for things that I'm going to kill, um, they're things that I love, but things I don't think will make the list. Um, Mia Goth screaming Jamesy in Infinity Pool is so delightful and so wonderful. And Mia Goth is wild as hell. Um, but I don't think that's going to make the list. So I think that it can go. Um, does anyone have fight against that? Oh God, no. Okay. I put it on there and it's just like so memorable, but yeah, it, it's not going to make the cut. Yeah. 
Um, and then one more that I don't think is going to make the cut is one that I put on here, uh, which is the ending of Priscilla when Priscilla leaves Graceland and it's set to I Will Always Love You, the Dolly Parton um, original version, because a lot of people read that scene as like, oh, that's Priscilla Presley saying she'll always love you. But what a lot of people don't realize is that is like the one song Elvis could never get the rights to cover. Dolly said no to Elvis. So it's her also leaving Graceland set to the song Elvis could never have, which I think is just Sophia Coppola being brilliant. Um, but I don't think it's big enough to make the list. So just wanted to shout it out. Real quickly, does anybody opposed to Are You There God? It's me, Mark, and making lists. I feel like me and BJ talked about it, but nobody else did. No, I, I haven't it, seen it, but I'm also, I think we're just getting to a point where you know, we're just starting to run out of slots, so I'm getting a little nervous about it. But like, I, but I, but yeah, I think the pat that's one of those movies everyone I know saw like raved about. So I, I guess I can't argue against it. Chris, do you think it should be on there? Yeah, I do. It's a really good scene, and Rachel McAdams really does a phenomenal job. All right. Yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's up to me now. Um, okay. Uh, Boy in the Heron. There's two moments on here. We're going to keep one for sure. Um, Feeding the little soul guys who are looking it up, uh, they're actually called the um, like Wara Wara. Wara Wara. Wara. Yeah. This is this movie. Uh, the two scenes I picked for this uh, movie are the uh, the two big sides of Miyazaki. In this one, it is this sort of beautiful, mundane slice of life thing in a fantasy world where the main characters arrive in this fantasy realm. Uh, he's met the younger version of Kiriko, who's an old woman in his world, who's now a young fisherwoman, fisherman in this fantasy world, which is capturing these giant fish and serving them and like preparing the fish and serving it to the Wara Wara, these little adorable floating soul guys who will be reincarnated into new beings after they've eaten the fish. And it's presented in this really matter of fact, beautiful, mundane way where the most the most incredible things are happening, but it's just a day in the life of this fisherman, this fisherwoman. And she's just going about it uh, and it's, and it's beautifully rendered. Like it's clearly drawn from somebody who's went out and saw how fishermen do their work, but it's done in the, in this fantasy world where it, it has the details are, are immaculate. It allows you to really feel like this place exists and you're witnessing people who know what they're doing. It's all animation, which makes it all, all hand-drawn animation. It makes it all the more remarkable. Uh, the other moment is from the climax of the film where the entire fantasy realm is collapsing. The, uh, uh, head of the family, who is the, sort of the godlike world of the the, god, the godlike emperor of this uh, uh, world he's created, has lost control of his creation, and it's a big, horrible, beautiful metaphor for Miyazaki being unable to build a perfect world, uh, despite being a master animator and despite being the best to, to have ever done it. Um, he feels that he cannot build something that that can sustain itself, and he what has what has he left behind for his family, other than these these worlds that collapse the moment they're over, uh, and it's. What a what a horrible, beautiful way to view your life's work in that I have made this masterpiece that can't sustain itself, and when it's over, what's left for my children and my grandchildren? Uh, the question is, do we want the Miyazaki who's, who has that light touch, that you are there sensibility, that you know casual hangout vibe, or do we want the Miyazaki who's, who's hitting you in the gut repeatedly with a hammer? Um, I'm cool with either. I want to hear everybody else's thoughts on this, but I feel like this movie should be on the list. Oh, for me, it's Miyazaki being dark and sad because – like Miyazaki's art and like the movies he makes often get associated with like a sense of whimsy, but like that dude has got some emotions. And when he shows them, that is when I love him the most. Yeah. Hammer to the gut. Uh, world collapses, I think is the moment of these two. Anybody else have any uh, opposition to this moment making the list? 
to my great shame, I've not seen a single Miyazaki movie, so I can't weigh in here. But all right, I was you two years ago. It, it's worth it. Believe me, like everything is true. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going down that rabbit hole soon, but for the moment, I can't weigh in. Okay, well, I'm going I'm to cut feeding the Warawara. Those four guys are gone, but the world collapses. We do. I, I think that Boy and Heron should be on this list, and it sounds like this is the mission statement of the film. And maybe his mission statement is an artist in one sequence. The argument that I could make that Miyazaki being the filmmaking legend that he is and having not had a movie out in 10 years, I, I think it, it it would be disrespectful to said legend to not have him on this list. Okay, I'm going to take the silences that this is happening. <laughs> Locking it in. Oh, yeah, it's happening. Okay, so I, I got to kill one more. Um, I'm sorry to do this to you, Brad. I think this is only the only person on the team who's seen this movie. The ending of Linoleum, I'm, I don't think this is going to make the list. That's totally understandable. And honestly, I would feel better if people just went out and uh, sought out Linoleum, which is a movie starring Jim Gaffigan. Uh, it's easily the best performance of his career. And I honestly would prefer not to give the ending away because uh, the ending kind of just brings the whole movie together. A movie that otherwise you're watching, it might feel disjointed and you might be curious as to like what's going on. But it just really brings it together in this uh, emotional, powerful way. And I, I really dug it. It's a... Um, it's a movie from South by Southwest last year. So if you haven't heard of Linoleum, if you haven't seen it, I'll encourage you to seek it out. And I will not describe the ending so that you can enjoy it just the same way that I did. All right. Uh, Ryan, uh, keep one, kill two. All right. I think I'm going to go with an easy. Is anyone going to argue against the car crash in Ferrari making this list? The downside is that the CG is bad, um, but it's, it's a, it's a pretty incredible moment. Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. Yeah, I, I don't like Ferrari, but I like this scene. Um, I think for me, this is why I love this list is that we can highlight a scene that lands this hard and rules this hard. Rules is the wrong word for a scene this tragic. Uh, a scene that hits this hard in a movie that I think it's otherwise not that great. So I would actually give my full throat support of this, even though I'm not a Ferrari fan. Well, I just wanted to ask because because I, I, I liked Ferrari. It's fine. Like Michael Mann's one of my boys, but like, but this scene is like. It's so shocking. And I admit some of the CG's not great, but like it pulls no punches and like in a really tragic moment that actually happened, like just showing it in the way they showed it is like it's 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 kind of Michael Mann doing what he does best in a lot of ways. And I think that you know, I don't know. That's I was gonna argue for it, but I just felt like it was one of those moments that wasn't gonna get a lot of pushback. So I think it could go on there. If uh, Chris, what do you think? You you were a, a Ferrari uh, viewer at least. Yeah, I would like this to be on the list. It's it's a it's a great scene. I'm I'm actually very pro Ferrari. I think it's better than people think it is. But that's me. I, I lean towards Chris on this, but yeah, it's, I do uh, too. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I, yeah, because yeah, I just figured let's get an easy one out then. But yeah, it belongs on the list. Like I said, here I am saying I don't like the movie, but this should be on the list. It's that good of a scene. So okay. yeah, you're yeah. All right, Ryan, let's kill two. All right. Uh, look, I, I think I might get a little pushback on this, but uh, Sisu was a movie I wanted to love and didn't. And I don't know that either of those scenes are going to make it. But I think if one is going to make it, it's the breathing out of a dead Nazi slit throat. Um if one's going to make it, but I'm very comfortable cutting both of those Sisu moments uh, personally. Yeah, yeah I, I think both of those can go. Yeah, I don't think it's going to make it. Yeah, it's I, a fun movie. I wish it were better, but I added them both to the list. The one that I thought would probably end up getting cut was the women get revenge because it just feels kind of like, you, you know, it's coming. Uh, but I got to say that that moment when he's underwater and he breathes and gets air from a slash Nazi's throat is bad ass i agree it's bad but i'm just looking at what we got left and i'm like i don't know if that's enough to get it over the finish line but i'll defend that moment as pure badassery it's fine cut away all right they're gone 
Okay, uh, next up in rotation is Brad. Uh, keep one, kill two. Okay, uh, let's have uh, the holdovers, the city montage, make it into the list. Hell yeah. The city montage uh, is beautiful. This is the, the moment in the movie where you really see um, the our two main characters bonding. Uh, you have the professor and his kind of rascally student, and they really start to make a connection uh, as they spend time uh, visiting Boston and just hanging out and really getting a better sense of who each other are and realizing that maybe they aren't uh, all that different. Uh, and there's just so there's just the settings are great in this movie. The the emotion is great. It's very funny. Uh, there's there's so many good things about this montage. I, I love this movie. Love the sequence. So yeah, I, I want that to be on there. This movie's great because it starts off being a comedy where people hate each other, and it transforms socially into a drama about people you want to hang out with. Like you, you get this movie not want to be around these people at all if they're so abrasive and like, God, I got to spend two and a half hours with these people. And then by the time you reach this montage, you're like, man, I want to spend an hour and a half in this montage with these two. Like, wh- what a transformation! I love this movie. I love this scene. Agreed. Yeah. This movie's wonderful. I mean, my personal pick would be Paul Giamatti's face when Dominic Sessa uh, is running around the gym. But <laughs> <laughs> the city montage is like, that. that is the encapsulation of why this movie is so wonderful. Yeah, I, I sort of like saying goodbye, whoever put that on there, like that was the one I was leaning towards. But I, I, I think the montage is a little bit, it, it encapsulates it pretty well if, we, if we're only getting one. So I'm okay with that. Chris, are you a Holdovers fan? You and I have never discussed this one yet. Yeah, I really like the Holdovers. I actually was kind of cold on it when I first watched it, and I rewatched it around Christmas time, and I was like, oh, this is actually a, a, a lovely, lovely movie. So I, 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 I really like the Holdovers. Cool. So it sounds like City Montage makes the, makes the list, but maybe cut the other moment, the saying goodbye from the end? Yeah, I think so. It's a good yeah. moment, but it, it's a little too maybe reminiscent of like Dead Poet Society or something, whereas the other moment is is more unique to uh, Holdovers. Okay, so uh, Brad, I think you still can cut one more, right? Yes, I can. Uh, and gosh, I don't want to cut that one yet. We're going to have to have a discussion about it. I'm trying to debate how hard I want to fight for it. Um, maybe we should have the American Fiction conversation, because I don't think all three of these moments are going to make it. Um, American Fiction is fantastic. Uh, and if I were going to pick a scene that I think really represents uh, what this movie is, is going for. It's that uh, Monk confronts uh, Centara Golden about her book. Uh, I think that is like really the moment where like Monk's character realizes like what he's been, like he thinks he's been fighting for what he represents and the things he hates about uh, black literature. It's not quite as cut and dry and, uh, and no pun intended black and white as he thinks. Um, and I think that that really is the the crux of the movie. So I think that scene should make it if we're going to have American fiction on this list. And then the other two would get cut. I think American fiction definitely makes the list, but I feel that's not the scene. So like I'm, I'm, I would like, I, I would, if only one makes it, I would go for the scene where Monk, writes the book and he sort of is like envisioning it in his office and like Keith David shows up for like one heroic scene. And like, to me, that is a little more emblematic of what that movie's trying to do and what it does so well. But this is also one of those movies where I would personally feel like two scenes would be warranted, but I don't think I'm going to get support on that. So this might be tough to. I'm on team Brad with this one. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, on, I think I, I am too. I'm on team Brad too. I, I think that that, 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 that scene is um, the thematic culmination of the entire movie. Uh, Monk writing his book is extremely funny. And uh, Jeffrey Wright is, is giving one of my, one of my favorite performances of the year in this movie. Um, uh, he, he's so good. Um, but 
it's it's uh it just breaks my heart if that's the only representation of this movie on this list but i i, I apparently i don't have a dog in this fight so whatever <laughs> all right so it's, it's uh, i think we should go ahead and move centara golden scene up to in discussion and cut the other two yeah yeah all right okay ben you want to close this out with keeping one more and killing two more yeah um so I know we moved the the two killer moments up into in discussion, but like I, I, the Bosch assassination is something that I was going to actually argue for. So I'll just do it now, like before we sort of um, kick it, like, you know, kick it up into in discussion. Like, should we actually have that conversation about the opening in the movie and how incredible that is and how awesome, <laughs> like it's like 25 minutes or something of just Michael Fassbender in that room, which is all like digitally composited by David Fincher and his visual effects wizards and uh, him just like delivering all of this voiceover and setting himself up to be this amazing, efficient master of his profession and then we find out instantly you know as soon as he pulls the trigger that he's kind of a fuck up and he spends the whole rest of the movie just like screwing up in various ways um so i just thought the way that it kind of like let the air out of the balloon was very effective and uh i it's also just like you know beautiful to look at in that sort of sleek um modern way that dave fincher has with making movies look so amazing so um i i i present a counterpoint the florida fight scene is similar in that it sets up a sequence uh, it's an action sequence that we've seen before a thousand times and proceeds to do everything the opposite way. It is, we've, we've never seen David Fincher do a straight up action scene like this before, to my knowledge. I, I can't remember one where it's been like a mano a mano two men fighting David Fincher scene. And Michael Fassbender's character, this assassin, just so repeatedly failing and so repeatedly failing to the upper hand until essentially he wins more or less by, you know, leaning into his luck and having to burn the whole house down. It's so funny. The killer is so funny. It, um, I, and I, I, I think that the Florida fight scene sums up the, the, the film's sense of humor really well. But I also am happy with the botch assassination being the scene that makes the list. So, uh, Chris, how do you feel? Yeah, it's tough because I really love that fight scene. But I, I think, I guess it does make more sense to have the botch assassination scene based on the way Ben sold it and everything. But, um, yeah, I'm. I'm uh, yeah, let's just go with that. Let's just because I want to. I want to keep things moving along, so let's go with that one. Does anybody have any opposition to the botched assassination from the killer making the list? I'm a total centrist on this movie, so I don't care. <laughs> All right, botched assassinations on the list, and we're going to go ahead and kill the Florida fight scene, even though it's very, very good. Uh, ben, have you cut one more then? Okay, uh, let's cut one that I put on there, which is the opening scene of Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain, um, which is just a very funny movie that's on Peacock, so like nobody saw it. Uh, but it's um, it's basically just a, a really goofy montage of these best friend characters like trying to go to work, and then they show up, and Conan O'Brien plays one of the guy's dads, and he's their boss at this like big uh, Bass Pro Shop style uh, store and Conan's actually playing it straight for the most part. And just his, um, utter like shock and disdain. And, uh, at the fact that these guys have just been like basically rollerblading into work, he's super late and doing all this like goofy shit on what should be company time, uh, had me cracking up, but I, I there's no way it's going to make it. It's just not that many people have seen it. 
Yeah, the scene, uh, the, the entire opening sequence is hilarious because it's please don't destroy, just doing what they do best and being absurd and roller skating to work. And just the conversation they have when they get to this that store with Conan O'Brien is hilarious. So, yeah, watch Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain. It's on Peacock. All right, it's gone. Looking at our list, we have 34 locked in. We have 16 remaining slots. And yeah, next episode, guys, we have a bloodbath. I think starting in, in part three, the final part of the series, we're going to go through what we have not touched at all and just obliterate anything that doesn't have a chance and then merge it all into one list and see what makes it. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so that's going to do it for today's episode. And you can find more about all the movies that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.